Hi, I'm Jack. And I'm Kevin. This is Good Company in the Car. Can't help it, the girl can't help it. Can't help it, the girl can't help it. She walks by, the men folks can't even Rolling, rolling, rolling. Little doggy rolling. How are you? Good. How great of a movie was Blazing Saddles? It couldn't make hilarious. it now. No, it, couldn't. It couldn't, but it was good. But goddamn, it was funny. Funny. Just, speaking of funny, Graham Norton just now. What a genius! He's just so, so funny. And uh, that quick, I would. You I, know, we've like, talked about what it. You would be willing, like that super quick <laughs> wit. I just am so jealous. of that. Who is the actor who's on IT? Do you know his name? I don't know his name. The tall, skinny dude. No, no, no. Well, no, the 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 guy with the hair. Yeah, I don't he's know. tall. Yes, and he didn't look that tall. Anyway, so <laughs> he didn't. I, I yeah, I thought you knew him, but he he seems like he'd be friends with Graham Norton. Well, they're all qu- the English for the most part are quick witted. Uh, yeah, the the English, the, well, at least the TV and the actors, if they all seem to have a quick wit. Who and, is the um, who is the one who played Doctor Who, but he was also a bad guy on the Harry Potter movies? David uh, Tennant. David Tennant. I think he's friends with everybody. I saw. They were doing a little This Is Your Life on him. Uh-huh. And everybody, all the big names came forward, like David working with David. He'll do anything. They're like, you ask him to try something. <laughs> he was up for anything. And, and uh, he was really touched that everybody thought so highly of him. Right. Uh, he has been in a lot of stuff. He was in this other one that was really cool where he played a, he played, he wasn't the bad guy exactly, but he was he, a lawyer. And it was really cool because he killed this guy that was, a bad person yeah. got off uh-huh. by the, I I know I this makes no sense. The the bad guy had an allergy to shellfish and mm-hmm. and, lo- and oysters and things like that. Yeah, and he just barely scratched him. Uh huh. And he broke so, out. So the guy had went into major anaphylactic. Yeah, and he somehow and, and proved he, he was innocent. Well. It was, it was, a, I wish I could think of the name of the show, but it was really good. Like this guy was terrorizing. He and like killed mm-hmm. his wife and yeah. everything and he kills him and then they take him to court and it's like, I did all these things to save him. Yeah. And, oh, it was good. It Is was David really Tennant uh, Scottish? He's yes, English. He's, he's from Scottish. the North. He's okay. from the North. So. He has a brogue when he speaks. Yeah, he has a little bit yeah. of a All right. Well, I am itching to talk about this case because I think it is ridiculous. I have a lot of things to say at the end of it. But you have a lot of things to I say. I do. It just, it's, um, can we just get going? Sure. All right. It's Forensic Files. Forensic Files. Season 13. Season, th- season 13. Wow. <laughs> Episode season three. three. Episode three. Shoot to thrill. Shoot to thrill. And this was originally aired in 2008. But let's go back to January 2003. And we are in St. Cloud, Minnesota, which is in the middle of nowhere. I have a friend at work and he grew up 23 miles from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Wow. And he's one of 17 oh, children. Yeah, it's 17. Minnesota. Man, have you ever been to Minnesota? No. They really do talk like that. Yeah, yeah. you betcha. Well, you I know, can't even do it. I'm not even I'm doing the words, but I'm not doing the right inflection. I remember when we did the eyes of Tammy Faye and her brother was yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she took yeah. the cup. Yeah, and she yeah. Took the wine yeah. and the wort was I gone. I was there for work <laughs> and and there was one girl that I was with and we were traveling and we'd stopped in like a Perkins or something like that yeah. to eat. And the woman came over to talk to us and she did, <laughs> she looked at the way she goes, Do you really talk like that? And I was like, <laughs> smacked her and like 
this is their this is their local. I, it's a great accent. I, it's a it's a funny accent, but when I hear it, I'm like, oh, you're trustworthy and hardworking. Ah! <laughs> you Obviously, know? you didn't see Fargo. Oh yeah, no, right. Uh, well, actually, everybody in Fargo who has that accent's a good guy. I didn't come here to debate you, Jimmy, or whatever. He <laughs> has a shitty accent. That was a scary movie. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> That's funny. It's uh, January 2003. It's just after midnight. 17-year-old Jason McLennan has just returned from a night out with friends, and he lets himself into the downstairs of this rather nice home, takes a shower, and it's now after midnight, and he's going to go up to bed, but he's going to go get something to eat first. He goes up to the upper level of the house, or upstairs from the basement, and he finds his dad has been shot. At the bottom of the stairs, he's been shot multiple times. So let's do some 911 call, shall we? 911. I need help. My dad just been shot. I just came home and he's on the ground. I don't know. Is he inside the house? Yeah, he's on the ground. Do you know who did this to him? No, I just came home. So the now the first thing, the first thing. Here we go. He took a shower before he ate. Yeah, that seemed very odd to me because I'm thinking coming in from a night out. I don't think of a 17 year old. Most 17 year old boys even taking a shower coming in at night. I was well, like, I'll do it in the morning. We don't know what his night out was. Yeah, we don't know what they weed. were doing. <laughs> but I'm thinking to my because you know he may have been playing sports or he may have been yeah. you know whatever whatever. Meaning you know that's what they do. But I'm thinking to myself, I would have eaten. Yeah. And then taking the shower. But well, that's yeah. just me. Yeah, yeah. Are you hungry right know. now? <laughs> I'm always fucking hungry. It's horrible. I'm always hungry. Do we want to talk about my food yesterday? <laughs> yeah, right. The triumvirate of disappointment. Let me tell you what. Let me tell you well, what. Tell them what got you wanting these foods first. Okay, so <laughs> Kevin turned me on to this other show. Kevin watches a lot of cooking shows. I do. And I try to explain to him that watching cooking shows for me is like putting bottles of putting bottles of booze, booze in front of an, an alcoholic. alcoholic. Because I see <laughs> That's this. That's such food. an apt analogy. It is. And he's he's like, oh, watch this. Oh, I yeah. saw this and whatever. Struggle and meals he'll is send my new me jam. Stuff and, whatever. and one of his favorites are the different variations of America's Test Kitchen. Yep. And then he just found this other one called Struggle Meals. Struggle Meals. Struggle and then meals. also How It's Made. How it's the other made. one. So that was Strug- a fish stick episode. So <laughs> so struggle is this guy what's his name frankie kellanetza okay and he literally shows you how to get away with like use the free sugar in restaurants use the free pepper flakes use the it's very clever and use all that stuff because you're going to gather it anyway use it and how to make he has very a spe- inexpensive and he shows how much fresh, each meal costs good, you know yes yeah, so and, str- and he uses really bargain basement ingredients and uh to make good because it's, like, it's called your money on this it's and called then struggle ramen meals. noodles and yeah use ramen as your yeah. noodle and Instead of buying pastas, right. it's really clever. So between that and America's Test Kitchen, and then we watched a show, an English show on how, how it's made. Fish fingers were made. <laughs> they look now, delicious. And they look delicious. <laughs> and I grew up eating a lot of fish sticks. And I really so over the course of these shows, there was a chili recipe, and I'm sitting there going, Chili, I want chili. <laughs> and then and the then fish we, stick and episode. Then the, and then the fi- how the fish sticks are made. So then I'm like, I want fish sticks. So Literally, as I started the week this week, all I wanted, and literally, was on my things of list oh, of things. Macaroni to do. and cheese too. Macaroni and cheese and fish sticks. That was from Struggle Meals. And and yes, because he made ma- and I was like, I never thought of doing that. Yeah. Uh, he and that was where the macaroni and cheese came from. And we watched this thing on how fish sticks were made in England, and I was like. I want fish sticks so bad. Yeah. So they I, look so good. Off they to really, the store, I get all delicious. the stuff I need, 
And my dumb ass, rather than making chili the way I make chili, the way I've always made chili, the way my mama taught me how to make chili, my dad made chili. No. I'm going to run patriotic music behind that. That's very funny. That's not what happened. I tried to do the recipe from America's Test Kitchen. So I used cumin and turmeric Mm -hmm. and paprika and all. And I used all these things that I don't normally use. And I used a whole red pepper and blah, blah, blah. And so the chili... It I was, I think it's really good. It's, it's good, yeah. but it's not. It's not the chili. way you think it's chili. But it's, I, I think it's delicious. Right. But I, so I can see you. I made that, and it didn't taste right. No. And I was so annoyed, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I've got this big vat of chili because you know I'm I cook for yeah. an army. <laughs> Uh, I, I made this pivot big, and do the fish sticks. Really? So I thought, well, I'll make the fish sticks instead because I bought Mrs. Paul's fish sticks mm-hmm. and I bought Velveeta's che- shells and cheese. Right. How can you fuck up Mrs. Paul's and Velveeta's shells and cheese? I'm here to tell you, folks, you can. I have this <laughs> really good air fryer. Yeah. I even consulted with air fryer extraordinaire Kevin, Chef Kevin. That's me, yeah. And he's Ask like, do this, do this, do this, do this. I put the liner in at 400 degrees. I even flipped them for maximum crunchy. Yeah. Blah, 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 I blah, think blah. I advised you to like go extra and make them extra crispy. And that's maybe but where the, I steered I, you the, wrong. Everything I read said 15 minutes. Yeah. I cooked them for 20. Yeah. That's at 400 thinking, degrees. I think because you said they were nice and crispy, but the inside. The insides were, the, they were molten lava hot. Yeah, I think that's what but I. But they were not, they they had a mush. Yeah, oh. I think they overcooked the inside. I was I, so. I'm going to take the fall I for almost, that. Well, no, it's not your fault, but it, it because I followed the instructions. Please let me feel bad about on the this. Bo- no, it's not your fault. <laughs> the box told me with the instructions and the internet told me instructions to make crispy, you know, how to cook these things so they'd be nice and crispy. Yes. Well, they weren't. And yeah. it was totally like devastating because I cooked like six of them, <laughs> you know, and I maybe ate one. And I was like, this is disgusting. I can't even Don't eat waste these. the calories. Right. So I thought, well, at least I have the Velveeta shells and cheese <laughs> to make up for it. It had a weird aftertaste. <laughs> you were so you called me up just to complain about this. I was like, because it was, uh, you know, you know, when you get your mouth set for something like yeah. I want an Oreo, I want an Oreo cookie. I want an Oreo cookie. Cookie, I want an Oreo cookie. And someone gives you a chocolate chip cookie. Well, it's a good chocolate chip cookie, but you want it. I am literally a, a slave to my craving. You are. I'm so here. if I want an Oreo cookie and I don't get an Oreo yeah. cookie, it's all fucked up. You for were me. so put out. It was like quarter after nine, and you had to get up at like five this morning. You were halfway off the couch to go get a filet of fish. I almost went to McDonald's to get a filet of fish because I Let's was the jonesing. I was jonesing like a crack addict for a piece <laughs> of fried fish. And that's the story. Of the triple disappointment. Good lord! <laughs> All right, back to our regularly oh scheduled program. Was, I wasn't even going to talk about that. That's funny. Why did we? Why did I bring that up? Oh. So the cops arrive and they find fifty-three. Oh, food! Food! He went. To, he got, he went went to the shower and then he got food. Okay. So the cops arrive and they find fifty-three-year-old Ken McLennan dead at the bottom of the stairs. He's been shot seven times with four different types of twenty-two caliber shells. James Doherty is the crime lab director, and he explains all the places Ken has been shot. There was wounds to the temple, to the forehead, to the throat, the chest area, to the right hand, and one in the back as well. At one point, Janelle Kendall, she's the prosecutor. She isn't quite sure about the number of shots. Well, there was a lot. Yeah, it was like... There were seven, (sighs) and she said he was shot six. He grabbed the end of the gun. He actually reached up, and the gun actually had contact with his hand. 
the shot goes through the hand, there were at least six shots, perhaps seven, that were fired. Every single one hit Ken McLennan. Possibly seven times. Well, he, because- he was shot seven times. They got they recovered they recovered seven. Well, slugs. I think it's thrower because they the shell casings. But you know, but the thing is, is when as soon as we hear the nine one one call and everything, I'm uh. like. Well, he did it. He sounded too calm. No, no, no. His, his, I, my dad's dad. No, that wasn't it. It was just, I guess I'm so jaded now with if someone, if someone gets murdered, it's the closest. Whoever calls him. The, it usually is on forensic person. files. So, you know, so I've already, I was like, you know. No, oh, so you already got it out for him. I was, uh, well, but I was just like. So the intruders picked up the shell casings, but they missed one. And that comes back to bite him. There was one spent 22 shell casing left on the hardwood floor near the body. So Nathaniel Brovold is the homicide detective assigned to this case. We discovered that Ken's wallet, along with some cash and identification cards, and also some foreign currency and Ken's watch were missing from the residence. To him, the original motive looked like robbery. Do you ever know of anybody's house being robbed? No. Nope. I don't know anyone who's ever been robbed. My house in the house in West Virginia wasn't technically robbed. The house sitter went through some shit. Oh, and your dad caught him and told him to bring him back. Yeah, bring yeah, him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him and but, got him back. But like the idea of someone breaking into your house to look for valuables, I don't know of anybody that that's happened That's to. why I think a lot of people who stage murders and try to make it look like robbery, it's like robbers don't do this. This robbery rarely happens, and when it does happen, it doesn't happen like this. Well, the- they actually, in this case, they point out why this is not consistent with what <laughs> robbers do. So Ken is the vice president of a crafts company. Actually, it's scrapbooking. Scrapbooking. He's in charge of international sales. This is so interesting to me when we get back. Okay. He's a widower and he travels overseas a lot. We learn that his life insurance and personal property uh, make his net worth at over a million dollars. And to the humble folks of St. Cloud in 2003, that's a lot of money. Well, it's a million. And Winston, homicide investigator. He made a good living. His value was over a million dollars in terms of life insurance and actual assets. The McLennan family was of some wealth, and so we explored that as a motive for his murder. Who might gain from his death? I just think it's funny that they're like, he was worth over a million dollars. Like, Kanye West met, tips a million dollars. Uh, well, I mean? no, but come on. Like, your average working Joe. Yeah, in that town. Right. That, that's, and, you still, know, I, I'm, look at me acting like a million bucks. Exactly. <laughs> a million bucks. I know. I say that all the time. What's a hundred thousand? Yeah. Know, exactly. <laughs> but but uh, the, this, this is interesting to me. He worked for a scrapbooking company. Internationally. This is very interesting to me. He is a... The more we learn about him, uh-huh. he is the absolute last person on the planet you would imagine working for a scrapbooking company. Oh, yeah. Company. Well, visually, he doesn't look very no, exactly. scrapbooky. <laughs> and remember we did one not that long ago that yeah. was scrapbooking the, the thrill, stores. The Thrill Killers in Ocean right, City. Right. They owned a scrapbooking up in Altoona or whatever. Right. So there, so this, it's a bloodthirsty this, business. <laughs> I, but you know what? There, this is It's a million-dollar business. Yeah. These is scrapbooking get, still big? Yes. Oh, my God. certain, you know, you can go to most... Uh, 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 like Walmarty type yeah. stores, and they have sections of scrapbooking supplies. Yeah, I know. I've seen that. I know the whole store is devoted to it. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. The next day, the cops go back, and in the light of day, they see there are a bunch of tracks in the snow out back. One set leads directly around from the back to the front door, and it kind of throws them off. Brovald is back to tell us the investigators are already getting suspicious. Burglars typically do not want to confront the homeowner, much less shoot them seven times, like we have here. Well, typically burglars don't want to confront the homeowner or any other persons inside. 
They want to get in and get out. It would be very uncharacteristic, in my opinion, for someone to shoot someone that many times. Since Jason was the person who found him, he's investigators are are you, Jack? The cops have to suspect him for the crime. Not only that, but we know, we know, nine times out of ten, it's who benefits from. Well, we haven't gotten around to that yet, but but no, no, no. But this is a this is a this is this should be on our uh, take a drink. You know, the the drinking contest. This should be the person who benefits the most. It should be the primary suspect right off the bat. They seize the clothes he was wearing at the time and check his fingers for gunshot residue, and they find nothing. They find no blood on his clothing. Everything seems clear. So now the focus shifts to Ken's fiancée. She's a Swiss businesswoman, and her name is Alessandra Loutens. She is named as the beneficiary of one of Ken's insurance policies worth (laughs) $100,000. We get a bit of a jump here, but let's hear from Janelle. She had been living with Jason and Ken during the time that they were in Florida. And the fact that she existed and the fact that she lived in their household was a subject of stress between the father and son. Okay, at some point, they all lived in Florida together. Right, it is, oh my God, where do we get into it? Oh, yes. okay, you're oh, gonna, there's, you're there's gonna, all right. research. I, I'm like, why the hell did you move yes. back to the Arctic hellscape of St. Cloud? I mean, <laughs> there there isn't enough, there's not enough motivation on the planet to get me to move from Florida to St. Cloud, Minnesota, but I, that's well. just me. Jason and Alessandra did not get along, apparently, when they were living together, and it was a source of real friction between Jason and his dad. The police obtained some emails between Ken and Alessandra. At the time of the murder, their wedding plans were on hold and there was apparently a lot of stress in the relationship. But she was in Switzerland at the time of the murder, so they rule her out. I mean, that's well, a pretty rock-solid yeah, alibi, very, right? But of course, you know, me, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, well, you know, she, you know, yeah, yeah the, what what better rock-solid alibi than to be in Switzerland for, for someone to get killed. But, as it turns out, she's oh, she's an innocent bystander. Even yeah. She's in this, she looks so Swiss, she's too. She's a twisted web. It's a twisted Tina web. Turner lives in Switzerland. I know. She lives on a lake. The back of her house her. has got, like, a, a you can drive the boat right under the house. Well, good. They love her in Switzerland. I love Tina Turner. Yeah. He's great. <laughs> I'm your brother. dancer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they swing their attention back to the footprints. Jason claims they were from him and a friend of his. When he wasn't allowed to smoke inside, so he has to go out back to smoke. Well, I hate you, Dad. I'm this is a th- th- yeah. This is this is an, I without without do- try not to give too much. I know, but I want to say this now. It's very important. He and his father got into arguments because Jason smoked. Yeah. He so should. It's, so it's even more interesting that this is brought up because he's not even allowed to smoke in the house, which is, I understand, but, oh, me and my friend went outside to smoke, and I'm just like, well, wait a minute. you're it, There's so much more, and I want to get into it all, so we got to get through all this so I can start talking about all the other stuff. Sue Gross is a crime lab technician. She explains how she got the prints of the shoe impressions. I will ink the bottom of the shoe and press the clear acetate transparency against it. And then I will compare this transparency to the photograph that was submitted. So they confirm that two of the sets of cracks do indeed belong to Jason and his friends. Matching the shoes that they have. But the third set they can't explain. (laughs) I love this. They take that third impression and run it through the hilariously named shoe database Soulmate. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Now, it is very funny. It's very, very funny. 
but it, it's it is, a database of every, I guess, shoe manufacturers. But there's one for these. tires. There's one for bicycle tires. That's there's great. one for motorcycles. There's one, anything like that can, that can leave a track. There is a database for this. And I think that it's absolutely fantastic it's that they do and, this. And they find a match. It's a New York Lugs brand shoe, which host Peter Thomas helpfully points out that is popular with a particular crowd. <laughs> Further checking revealed there were a number of stores in St. Cloud, Minnesota that carried the Lugs boots, a brand popular in the world of hip hop. The hip hop community. I love the way he says it. It's so white. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if whoever chose those boots did it on purpose, knowing that when that tread, if they get identified, it's like, hey, that's with the hip hop crowd. Maybe there's going to, you know what I mean? That's well, you know, Lugs are, Lugs are like the. This is this is you know you know to insert like a racial bias or something. Well, yeah, lugs are like the poor man's Timberlands. Okay, so, so even Timberlands, still. Timberlands, Timberlands, which are legitimate work boots. Yeah, lugs yeah. are like the ones you that are you wear desi- to the club. The design that you wear to the club. Yeah, they're designed to be wear, worn that. Way. Several stores in the area sell the shoe. Brovold at this point gets a tip. The parent of a girl from Jason's high school has some information about the murder, and she is very upset. I received a call from the father of a female student from Tech High School. He stated that his daughter was very upset over details that she had learned while she was at school that day about this murder. So she's crying, and uh, you know, dumb, dumb. this is when it starts. And oh a murder in a high, involving high school students—it's going to get crazy. But think about when you were in high school. How quickly, how quickly gossip. Oh my God! Spread. Yes. During the investigation of the murder, the police now learn that the relationship between Jason and his dad is not a good one. Apparently, Ken all but abandoned his wife, who was dying of cancer, uh, and Jason resented it deeply. Apparently, he just kept traveling. I think at this point, he had the girlfriend. Yes. So this is Paul Levy. He's a reporter with the Star Tribune. Regardless of the relationship between Ken and his wife, if the woman's dying, it just looks bad if you take off and go to another continent and don't come back for weeks, leaving Jason, who might have been 12 years old, to take care of his dying mother. It appeared that things changed for him, that he became more troubled, started to have more trouble in school. He's the guy with the head of hair, the crazy shock of hair. So he so, pretty much left 12-year-old Jason alone to tend to his mom in the hospital. Right. So that was one of the reasons why they moved. They, they're they from Canada. They ended up moving to Florida. And then they moved back to Canada and then somehow ended up in Minnesota. To uh, I be guess Minnesota makes fa- sense now. To family or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense. If the mom's from- but it didn't make... Yeah, it, it, He... Ken didn't care. She'd had a double mastectomy. Yeah. She was going through all these cancer treatments. Yeah. He wouldn't even drive her to the cancer What treatment. a dick. Yeah. I did, this Ken isn't a good guy. I got no. the impression he was not a very He's good guy. He's not a very good and guy. And apparently they, he left uh, uh, Jason alone at home yeah. for weeks and... You know, at some point they said they were without food. With you, well, you know, you know they, they, we, that may or may not know, be yeah. true. Well, but because there was another thing that's later that says one of the one of Ken's associates said that Jason just used his dad as a bank. Okay. So I two sides, two sides. So there's of the two story. sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't think I don't. He had a. I I don't think Jason had a a, a hard life. Meaning he had a car, he had clothes. He had, they they described him as a I rich don't kid. Think he li- yeah, but he, I don't. I don't think he lived an extravagant life. He played lacrosse. Okay, so, of know. course he did. Yeah. So the cops get another tip from another kid at the school, and this is where we learn that Jason's been asking all over school if. You'll we help kill my dad. He he I'll wants pay guns. You. Yeah, he's trying to find guns and someone to help him. And it's the worst kept secret at the high school. And 
at least one other high school student had been asked to provide a gun. A number of high school students knew about this. The informant said that Jason asked several people to help him kill his father, but all of them declined. They didn't think this was really going to happen. Others seemed in this stoned world where nothing was real anyway, and oh, far out, it happened. It's that creepy, to me, this is that creepy stand-by-me kind of teen vibe where there's like a body (laughs) up in the woods. Nobody's reporting it to the adults. You want to go see it first. You know what I mean? It's creepy. (laughs) So one kid agrees to help. His friend Matt Mulder agrees to help. I don't think they were friends. Uh, No, but he was maybe asking. He got pulled. He apparently, in my research, Jason and Matt were not friends so much as Jason lured Matt into it. With the money, the promise of money. We hear about that. Matt was an average kid who got dazzled by the money dazzled by the possibilities. When a rich kid tells you, you can be part of my life, you can have a big fancy house, a fancy car, your life is going to be different if you'll help me with this. He got caught up in it. So Matt just saw dollar signs. Uh, the cops find a 22 caliber rifle in Matt's bedroom and they check it for ballistics. And the slug fired from the gun doesn't match those recovered from Ken's body, all seven of them. But upon closer examination, they see that the barrel of the gun has been tampered with. And this is Kurt Modine. He's a firearms investigator. The scratches appeared to be fresh. And by fresh, I mean they were silvery colored. They'd scratched through the bluing, which would have been applied at the factory. Someone had scratched the inside of the barrel for the purpose of preventing a ballistic examination. So what they do is they just do an end run around this compromised barrel, and then they compare the shot casing from the test firing to the shot casing they recovered from the crime scene, and it's an exact match. The thing that I found interesting is, you know, usually they look for the striations, I think that's the word is, but the hammer, the hammering device that hit the end of the bullets made the same mark on it. It was identical, yeah. Isn't that interesting? So even though they tried to, yeah, they they just still was identifiable. So, and even beyond that, inside the tip of the barrel of the gun is a small drop of blood, and they run DNA testing on it, and it shows it's Ken's. How Back the hell? They is, notice that. Really? How the hell does Ken, now, now think about that. How do the There's kids miss no it? There's no way to get out of this. Yeah. Ken's blood is inside, inside the, bar- the barrel That's when he grabbed it. Remember yeah, earlier? when he grabbed it with his hand. Went yeah, right yeah, through yeah. his hand. So, they bring Matt in, and Matt starts singing like a canary. In Matt's version of the events that we just heard, he completely removes himself from the scene. He says, I gave the gun to Jason. Jason said, I'll go inside and do it. I stayed back in the car. I heard the gunshots. Jason came back out, gave me the gun, and I went home. That was his version of what and happened. And I, be- I think that that is what happened. Do you? I actually think that. I don't think this Matt kid had the the. Well, I, I don't say the balls. We, I don't think he had it in him to commit murder. Oh, he was just like here, use my okay, gun. Okay, well, I, they don't because he doesn't. What we what we what what this forensic files episode tells us is not quite that. But can we get to it and then you can tell me? Sure, where you sure. Were? Well, this is my theory. Okay, Matt says Jason gave him a thousand bucks for the use of the gun. When Jason is confronted with this, he denies everything. I didn't do anything, even. That's an even bigger reason for me to not do something like this, even though the fact that I loved my dad. Even if I didn't love my dad, even if I hated his guts, I still see TV, I still see all that stuff. You don't really get away with anything. I'm not an idiot. I might not be great at school, I might not pass, but I'm not a moron. 
So I thought that was pretty clever. He's like, yeah, obviously I'm going to be the prime suspect because I'm going to benefit from the insurance. And he I didn't says, like my dad. I'm stupid. I'm not I'm stupid, not, but I'm I've seen stuff student. on TV. You know, I, yeah, 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 I've seen it on TV. Nobody gets away with anything. I would never try this. Right. I'd, be, I'd get caught. So therefore, I didn't do it. That that was his logic. It was, it, I guess, to a 16, 17-year-old, that's a great uh, yeah. you know, ploy. I think he thought... You know how teenagers are really good at manipulating and they oh, think, they I'll think- just lie my way out of this? Yes. And it works a lot of time when it's not involving murder. At this point... But um, realistically, my parents knew I was lying. <laughs> so when but, I tried to lie my way out of something, they knew I was lying. The investigator, uh, Dolbrov or whatever his name is, he's like, Jason didn't realize how serious this was at this point. He, he's like, he just did not get it. So when the story hits the news, a bunch of teens start calling in with stories of Jason offering them money. One even says he was at the house with Jason and another friend. And as Ken pulled up and was returning home from work, as he came up the walkway, he and the other friend made yeah. gun shooting noises yeah. at the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now the cops are like, well, is there the other is there an accomplice there, that we don't even know about beyond And Matt? remember there's another pair of shoes. That's so, what's throwing everything off is this this other set of footprints out in the snow. Here's another thing. Remember in the um the girl who wanted her husband killed so she'd be Instagram famous? Yeah. She was caught within like 24 hours the whole thing was right, sewed right, up. Right. The the news hits the the next day, the day after all of this happens. It takes the day for the police to process it. The very next day, as soon as this hits the, the, the news outlets, another kid calls and says, oh, oh yeah. you can find the bloody clothes out on Matt's parents' property. And they go and find it. And it's... it's. Are you sure that Matt... I thought Matt told them where it was. In Forensic Files, it says a teenager from the high school called. It was not Matt. It was okay. not identified as Matt. All right. I don't... No, Matt, because Matt... No, no, no. I thought Matt was like, I'll tell you everything you need to know. Don't he does later. He does later. He doesn't at this point. This is okay. another... All right. I just wanted to stay on the record how many teenagers were calling yeah, yeah. in. Yeah, Okay. So a teenager calls in the very next day and says, you'll find it here. They found the clothes. Teenagers corroborated that it was the clothes that Jason was wearing the day of the murder. murder. They found... Uh, uh, Ken's DNA on the gloves. They found Jason's DNA inside In the, the gloves. gloves. They found Ken's wallet, wallet, business cards, and some euros. Uh, yes, uh, uh, foreign money. And this is what did this didn't make sense to me. There was over a thousand dollars in cash in the wallet. Yeah, I don't know why they just. Maybe they're going to go back and get it later. Well, I think maybe in the panic of the moment they didn't think about that. But I, I, I I'm yeah. thinking from the I'm thinking from the concept of you're doing this for the money anyway. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just take the money out of whoever was helping? And, and I, why didn't Matt hold on to that shotgun? I would have gotten rid of that, rid of that shotgun. Gun. I wouldn't have held on to it. Well, when we commit murder, we'll know all the right things to do. <laughs> but no, that's what that's what happens. You watch all these shows and you and you're sitting there eating your ice cream. Yeah. Well, there's his mistake yeah, right that's there. Exactly you, don't, what you, would do. you don't do that. You don't oh, the like dog a, walked through the blood. It's like know? in a romantic comedy when somebody coughs and you're like, oh, they'll be dead by a third of the way through the movie. It's always it's a dead giveaway that's every really time. Funny. And I'm becoming, uh, just a, a little, another little side note, I'm becoming a little callous. I'm watching too many of these. And I'm like, well, she killed, obviously, she did it. Oh, he did. Look at that cop. That cop doesn't care. He'd put an innocent person yeah. in jail. It's really funny how you just, your perspective of two years of really yeah. looking at these things. Excuse you. It kind of warps it. watching them just for like, yeah. you know, to kill yeah. time. And we're now, actually now you're looking at them and investigating. Actively, like, yeah. <laughs> they still have not identified that footprint trail that comes around from the back of the house to the front. They're wondering who it came from. A defense attorney could use those 
footprints to introduce reasonable doubt to a defense. Right. But the answer is real simple. They pressure Matt and remind him of the first-degree murder charge. He takes a reduced <laughs> sentence of second-degree murder and explains the boots. Matt then admitted the shoes were his and turned them over to police after hiding them in his basement. He said he made the shoe prints in an effort to throw off investigators. So that's, and that's when he gives up. That's when he's like, yeah, and I, I, I took the clothes out to my parents' property. He, that's when he, he tells them, but they already have the clothes by now. Honestly, though, honestly, if Matt and Jason had never said anything incriminating, mm-hmm. that third set of footprints mm-hmm. would have given reasonable doubt. I, I'm wondering if the gotten, weight of the forensic evidence it would have been at the end, just enough, just enough to that tip a it. good lawyer. You think so? You know the lawyers. You know lawyers. You just you know, yeah. They're just isn't that it, it just just yeah. Because this kid was scared to death. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to go to jail. And he's not thinking. He's 16, 17 years old. Mm-hmm. This I'm talking about Matt. Yeah. That's like wait a minute. This is supposed to be you know no no no. All I did was I didn't. I didn't do, do any. I, yeah. Right. I just wanted some money. So now they believe the motive was not only Jason's hatred for his father, but he wanted the cash as well. Well, yeah. So we get the recap. This is what they think happened. Jason and Matt were hanging out behind the house, smoking cigarettes. They waited for Jason's dad to get home from his trip, go upstairs, and go to bed, right? So at at some point, they decide it's late enough. Matt puts on those other boots. He walks around to the front of the house. Jason gives him the signal from inside the house through the front door window, ring the doorbell. He rings the doorbell. Matt walks back around behind the house. Jason shoots his father. Matt comes in and helps him ransack the house. And then they collect the shell casing, six, not seven. And then Jason gives Matt his dirty clothes. Then Matt takes them to his family's property and hides them. But apparently he told somebody where he put them. Which, and that teenager. So that, so that would lead me to believe that there was another person out there that had some involvement in it in the first place. And there was nothing I could find about that. But okay, keep going. Okay, well, Jason pleads self defense at his trial. The jury doesn't buy it. He gets life. Matt gets 30. Um, we get a 2008. This came out in 2008. It's a bit jarring seeing Matt in 2008 because he's been in the pen for five well, years. Well, now he's an adult, too. And now he's an adult, and it's just this moment of reckoning. Sometimes I still wake up in the morning and look out the bars and just go, wow. You know, I still can't believe that I'm here in prison. I still can't believe that. The decision I made to put myself here. Forensic Files now talks about the flawless plan to murder Ken and how it couldn't stand up against forensic science. The boys' plan to murder Ken McLennan went off without a hitch. But the cover-up couldn't withstand scientific scrutiny. Are you kidding me? Those teenagers, but, half of that high school knew we did it. But it was sort of like when the the BTK killer pretty much just handed the, the cops the evidence and said, right. it's me. Yeah. And now it's like, you can't trace me on this this thing, right? <laughs> Be fair. And it's like, no, we could never trace a floppy disk. And they had him like that. The cops didn't catch him. He gave himself up unwittingly. These kids would have gone down no matter what. That high school is what what got him. And it wasn't the forensic information. you know there was some kid that didn't like him. Jason didn't like Everybody, Jason. Would have said it. So, that whole high school knew about so this. So apparently, uh, according to the- They screen- called it a conspiracy on the show. They said it was a high school conspiracy. conspiracy they yeah. used that strong a word. So the Swedish girlfriend Swiss. said- Swiss. Swiss. <laughs> People get that all the time. Sorry. Sweden's like, oh, I get that all the time. They're pretty and blonde. <laughs> exactly. So the 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 girlfriend who had lived with 
in the Florida house. Yes. Lived in the Florida house. Alessandra. Uh, said that Ken and Jason were were very much alike, uh-huh. very hot-headed, yeah. and they had volatile arguments, disagreements, okay. fights, et cetera, et cetera. And Ken was an abusive father. Okay. He actually burned Jason with a cigarette. What a dick. Because, because when he found out he was smoking, he actually oh, burned okay. him. Oh, okay. Well, that's not so, that's not OK. And of course, and other people were saying that he Ken was very uh, hard on Jason yeah. to the point of just like, being not in front of other people, but to the point of almost being abusive yeah. in front of other people. Yeah. And then and then it's so there was an article or there was one article. There was something about a colleague of Ken saying on the tennis court. He was like McEnroe, man. You couldn't mess with him because he would just jump. Are you all fucking over. kidding me? Right. Have you ever seen those clip reels of McEnroe losing his shit? Oh it's God. so funny. But that's the kind of guy. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. We now all know here, the type. All now, know the type. This is why it's interesting. So here to me, it's it's amusing. OK, so Ken is a an executive in sales in, in uh, scrapbooking. Ex- well, he's an executive working for companies, so he's working in sales. Right. So he's promoting yeah, yeah. things. He was a, a high-ranking executive with Tupperware. Oh. And he got fired for being argumentative. Being and a dick, basically. Be, well, no, because apparently he got into arguments and fights with people at Tupperware, and that's why he was let go, which is why he was working for the scrapbook company. In sales. You don't want to work sales if you don't have to, right. or if you're making a shit ton of money. Well, I think his sales, his sales weren't, hey, buy this magazine. Uh-huh. It was... Buy this lot of okay, yeah. stuff. It, it wasn't. It okay. wasn't salesman like you know. Well, they kept opens saying, the briefcase and the samples. Come yeah, out, yeah, yeah. No, they were no. saying he was for for Saint Cloud. He was well off. Right, he was very well off. But you know, he was a, an executive. Mm-hmm. He was not a. He was not like shilling door to door. And um, do we know if Jason's still in jail or is he up? Oh for, yeah. For, oh okay. Oh yeah. So. Matt, yeah, I believe is eligible for parole in 2023. Okay, and he looks very much similar to the oh the that 2000 interview. interview. He looks, he doesn't, he's, he just he's an ado- dopey looking adult, yeah. with shaved head. Now the horrible part is, is you haven't seen the picture of Jason. No, I haven't. So. Jason wasn't nice enough. The kid who, the actor who was um, portraying Jason in the Forensic Files episode. Yes. I think I've seen him. I think he actually be, went Probably. on to become a successful actor. I, I'm sure I've seen him somewhere else, so which is good for you, Forensic File Jason, actor. Jason, who was kind of an all-American looking kind of yeah. kid, a bro. Yeah, he was nice looking. You know, yeah. <laughs> here, I want you, don't look. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to flip the, I want your reaction on okay. the mic. I'm looking. I'm going to turn the camera. Okay. The, turn, okay. T- Oh shit! <laughs> oh, he Jason, is, no. He, he is he's bald now. Whether he shaved or he's gone bald, he was going bald, and then he did the his entire neck. neck his entire neck is covered skull. with skull tattoos. And I oh, believe shit. I he believe looks like a white supremacist. If you look at the right eye, I believe there is the a teardrop, teardrop tattoo, which means I've killed somebody. Right now, whether that's his father or someone in jail, we don't know. Oh, so, he looks awful. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's fucked up. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. So wow. he is not supposed to ever get out of jail. Oof, he's not ever supposed to get out of jail. Uh, you know, good. I was kind of feeling sorry for him a little bit. There was a Jack Russell. He had a Jack Russell Terrier at the time. I want to know who got the dog. Because, <laughs> you know, that's the only dog. Yeah, that, that's probably yeah. the most important thing in the story. For, me, yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me. So um, they tried to use the battered child syndrome. And yeah, they didn't. That didn't work. Even though 
he was it kind was of probably legitimate. He was a yeah, little yeah. abused, but it, you don't get to, you don't kill your dad for that. Um, reporting from there was no communication between Kenneth and Jason. So the girl that uh, Jason had gone to the prom with, this boy was a lost soul, like a ghost figure. He was so sweet, kind, and polite, and so nice. Oh, wow. So I guess to everybody else on the planet, he was a wonderful person. Oh, well, okay. And um uh, uh I don't I just in the, it came out it came out in the trial that Kenneth had made twenty six business trips for the Creative Memories Company right. during the nine month period leading up to Wow, that's a lot of travel. Um I wonder what airport he flew out of. St. Cloud? St. <laughs> Cloud. He must connect through Chicago. Sorry. The police found a suicide prevention card and Betty Mc, McLennan death certificate in Jason's basement bedroom. Oh no. So the what they keep saying is the third reason. He Jason kind of bl- not blamed his father, but like Kind you of blamed his dad. Totally let everything fall apart. You didn't take care of your wife, et cetera, et cetera. I could see that kind so of this was kind festering. of a, a, a revenge killing. Yeah, to kill the father because of the mother. And no, no possibility of parole. No, it's because it's oh, murder. Wow, murder one or whatever. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, his wor- his worrisome temper in general, which contributed to his firing from Tupperware. Betty, uh, the 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 mother, mm-hmm. Jason's mother. Apparently, Ken was abusive with her. Great. And she would lock herself in Jason's room and sleep on the floor. Oh my God! All so right. she's suffering through cancer, and he's still and he's still being Man, an. Man, you were a dick. Yeah, but yeah. You didn't deserve to be shot. Uh, according to acquaintances. According to acquaintances, Kenneth would also openly watch pornography in the house. That's disgusting. So that uh, the other parents wouldn't let their kids go over to yeah, the house. Yeah, all right. Because he would just be sitting there watching That's porno disgusting. in like, the living room. All right. <laughs> well. Jason's paternal grandmother, Margaret McLennan, either forgave Jason or thought he was innocent. Her 2010 obituary described her as the, in quotes, loving grandmother of Jason McLennan. Okay. Quotes. Well, she probably knew about... You know yeah. how poorly he treated him, and yeah. you know, a grandmother will forgive a lot of a lot of sins. But well, you uh, teenagers, if you're going Oof. to do something really don't heinous, do don't, it, don't do it at leave. all. Leave. Just leave, or, or don't tell half the high school because you know what teenagers oh love to do. No, no, no. Don't, don't <laughs> give tips. Don't give tips. But uh, oh. thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Or a warm it. Or a warm it.